last night. I don't get anything out of it when I go, and nobody down there likes me anyway. Then he said, you can't give me three good reasons why I should go to church. And she said, yeah, I can give you three good reasons. Number one, it's Sunday morning, and it's always been our practice to go to church on Sunday morning. Number two, it's not true that nobody down there doesn't like you, or nobody down there likes you. And number three, you have to go because you're the pastor. (laughs) It hits all of us sometimes. We wonder why we go. I uh, saw a cartoon where uh, the pastor's wife comes in while he's uh, working on his sermon, and uh, she says to him, how will your sermon keep everyone awake when you fell asleep writing it? You know, how, how, how can you keep them awake? I read a study in Great Britain that said that 42% of regular church growers fall asleep in church. Oh. The men. Huh? It's the men. It's the men. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are pretty good about that. I don't see many of you falling asleep. Soren falls asleep once in a while. You know, is that what it is? I yell at you when you go to sleep. When uh, the University of Maryland, there was a report in the Journal of Behavior and Neurobiology, and this will wake you up. This ought to keep you awake. It says yawning is of medical importance because it's symptomatic of pathology such as brain lesions and tumors, hemorrhage, motion sickness, and encephalitis. So while you're yawning, be sure to tell yourself, well, don't worry, it's not really any of those things. Maybe you'll uh, learn to quit uh, yawning. So why did we come to church this morning? You know, we, we, we use those words that, well, we come to praise the Lord, we come to, uh, to, to do that, or like the pastor's wife, it's, it's part of our tradition, it's part of what we do, we get up and we go to church on Sunday morning. Um, and I know that you answer, we come to praise the Lord, we come to worship, but what does that really mean? That's what I want to ask you this morning. What does that really mean? What does it mean to worship God? And I, <clears throat> I think it's a good question to ask ourselves once in a while because any activity that just becomes routine runs the risk of becoming dull and lifeless. They, I think they call that a rut. And we don't want our worship to be a rut. And worship is, is just like everything else. And this morning I'm asking this question because here's, here's, what I, here, here's, here's what I want you to think about. What would look different about our Christian life? We talked about living in the kingdom of God for the last six or seven weeks. What would our Christian living look like How different would it look if Jesus was literally 
right here with us. What would this worship service look like differently if Jesus were to come in the door and you could recognize him as Jesus? He has come walking right in the door. Don would let him in. You'd let him in, wouldn't you, Don? And he came walking in the door and he came down and he sat right here by Dave. Would you let him sit by you? <laughs> how, how would it be different? You know, there was, a, there was an old country song. I, I, I don't remember all the words to it. But uh, it, it kind of went like, um, if Jesus came to your house, you know, he talked it. You know, it wasn't, he didn't sing it. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, and, and then it talks about, you know, what would you do different? How would things look different if Jesus came to your house? And, and would you be happy to have him stay forever, on and on, or would you sigh with great relief when at last he had gone? What would we do if Jesus came to church? When I was in seminary the first time in uh, Fort Worth, Jennifer and I belonged to one of the largest churches in the city. Uh, we thought that would be a different experience growing up in little churches all of our life that we would join a big church. So we joined one of the, the biggest churches in the city. And we built this new auditorium, beautiful, beautiful auditorium. And... Uh, on Easter Sunday morning, the first year that we were in that new auditorium, CBS television, national CBS television, came to televise our Easter Sunday morning service. And uh, it was the most perfectly designed worship service I ever attended. I mean, it was timed to the second. And there were some things we didn't do that we normally do. There were no announcements. You know, there were no prayer requests. There was only very perfunctory prayer. There wasn't, uh, you know, some, some of the, the normal down-home things that you do in church, we didn't do because the nation was coming to our church that day. And so everything was different. The sanctuary was crowded if you didn't get there early, you, you didn't have a place to sit. I mean, they turned people away that Sunday morning because there just was no more room. And Part of it was it was Easter Sunday morning. Part of it was a new auditorium. Part of it is we normally had two services, but we only had one service that Sunday uh, because we sure wanted to have a full auditorium when the nation came to church. And it was... I mean, that service went as smooth as ice. It went without a hitch. And when it was all over, I had perhaps the flattest feeling about worship that I had ever had. Because CBS came to church. But I'm not sure God did. I'm not sure Jesus showed up. And so I just asked myself, what would happen this morning, if Jesus came in, would it be worship as usual? Would we do everything the same that we normally do? Or would we 
move things around just a little bit to impress Jesus? Would His physical presence demand a response? Would we find ourselves caught up in wonder at the fact that the Son of God was here with us in worship? One of the first things that would be different is I would sit down and let Jesus speak to you. I know most of you already thought about that, you know. Uh, but what would he say? How would we act? Let's look at the passage that uh, I asked you to look up a second ago. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And in this passage, Peter is telling us in the letter he wrote, what it's like when the majesty of Jesus shows up. Look what he says. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, when Jesus shows up, worship is the most natural and powerful thing that you do. And he points out that worship is not just wishful thinking on our part, but our response to beholding the majesty of Christ. And if Jesus were to come in and sit down or come in and stand here and speak to you, you would behold his majesty and it would require from you, it, just, it would just come right out from you a response of worship and awe of Jesus and who he is. Because worship is a response to seeing the majesty of Christ. This, um, if you look at the passage in, in Luke, all, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, tell this story about uh, Jesus and uh, his uh, appearance on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, there's, there's not a lot of the things that happen that are involved in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. And then John also refers to it in the first chapter. But it's in, uh, I want to I read in uh, Luke in uh, chapter 9 about the day Jesus showed up, or the majesty of Jesus showed up, because Peter, James, and John were there, but Jesus was always there with them. You know, they, they walked with Jesus. But on this day, they saw a preview of the risen Christ. It says this, Some eight days after these things happened, Jesus took Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, 
which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were talking about the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus Christ. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. You know, that's silly. Why, why would Moses and Elijah want to come from heaven and go and live in a tent up on that mountain? You know, that's why I think uh, Luke adds not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed to begin to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. You know, Peter's telling about this event on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter and James and John were the first to see the glory of Jesus. They were the first to see the majesty of Jesus. And they were so dazzled, Peter said, man, it is so good to be here. I am so glad that I'm here. As a matter of fact, let's just stay here. He never wanted to leave that place again. A lot of folks think that uh, he was totally off base in the suggestion that he made. But Peter's just doing what's natural for him. It was so good. It was so great. It was so majestic. He didn't want to go anywhere. He, he wanted to stay. You know, the, um, Jennifer and I went to a church service one time. It was when we were still in school in Albuquerque. And I'll, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I asked her this morning if she remembered it. She said, oh yeah, I remember. Uh, it was at uh, one of the churches in Albuquerque, not the one that uh, we attended, as if we even attended very much. But uh, we heard that this evangelist was coming to town and he was going to preach on an, on an evening at, at one of the churches. And so we decided to go. I think probably what happened is my mother probably called me and told me he was going to be there and said, you probably ought to go. Um, that's probably how it happened, but it was a long time ago and I don't remember it all. But uh, he began to preach. You know, they had the regular part of the, the service and, and he began to preach. And I was so enthralled with the message that he was sharing. He was, he was preaching about the crucifixion. And about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And, and uh, you know, he, he was an evangelist. He was one of those guys that yelled and hollered and ran around and stomped and spit and chewed and, you know, and all those kinds of things. Uh, and when they put the nails in Jesus' hands, he hit that pulpit. Bam! 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 Until it split. I felt sorry for the pastor of the church. You know, he had to buy a new pulpit. But when he finally wrapped up that sermon, I looked at my watch, and he had been preaching for an hour and 40 minutes. 
And I felt like it had been about three or four. And I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't anxious for him to quit. You know, that's what it's like when, when, when you get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. And I feel like that night we saw a picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for, for us. When God shows up and there's a strong sense of God's presence, we don't want to leave. We don't want to go away. We want to see what God has to offer. And that's what happened to Peter. He worshipped and spontaneously, based on what he was saying, he said, let's just stay here. And what he saw changed and worshipped him forever. And we know that because this is, this is years later when he says, we beheld his majesty. So I think that would happen if Jesus came to church. I think we would see his majesty. And when it came time to go, we would start looking for good reasons not to. Because we just want to be where Jesus was and what Jesus was, was doing. When we behold the majesty of Christ, we're drawn up out of ourselves. We're drawn out of our self-absorption. We're, we're, we're drawn away from how we look or how we feel or obsessing about what's going to come next or, or thinking about you know, wh where we're going to go, what we're going to watch, all of the things that are ahead of us. And we begin to worship and it's vital and it's enthusiastic and it's life-changing because once you see God's glory, you want to see it again. You want to see it some more. And your worship changes. And no longer does worship become something that you just have to come in here and do because it's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But it's something that you don't want to miss. In Revelation, there's a, there's a picture of that kind of worship happening in heaven. It's in the first, it's in the first verse of chapter 5. And John, who's, who's looking into heaven, and he sees this happening in heaven, writes these words. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep greatly because no one was worthy to open the book or to look into it. Has your heart ever just ached? Because you look around you and you see what the folks are wrapped up in and what they're walking in and, and, and what they're thinking about rather than thinking about Jesus? Has your heart just ever wept within you when you think about the people who, who ought to, to know that they have an opportunity to see Jesus, but they're not interested in Jesus? They're interested in, in what's ever they're wrapped up in? You know, and, and that's kind of what John's going through here. He says, He's looking into heaven and he wants somebody to open the book 
and there's nobody who can open the book. But one of the elders said to John, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Do you remember when we were looking back in Christmas and we were looking at the symbols that uh, are in the Gospels and one of them was the lion? Do you remember what the lion represented? The king. The king. So, so what, Jesus, what, what this elder says, Behold, the, king, the lion that is symbolic for the king that is from the tribe of Judah, who is the root of David. Who is he talking about? It's Jesus. It's obviously Jesus. He has overcome he can open the book and it's seven seals. And then if there's any misunderstanding, he says, and I saw between the throne with the living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. So they tell him the lion is there and he looks for the lion and he sees a lamb. Do you see the picture that he's pointing? They're, they're seeing the majesty of Jesus. And he describes the lamb. He says, I saw as if slain the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He walked up and took the book from God. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. When they saw Jesus, now they're in heaven. These are the, these are the elders who are in heaven. These are the ones who, who are in heaven and, and they're living in heaven. They're around the throne of God. And when they saw Jesus, They fell on their faces. So let me tell you this. I think that's another thing that would happen if Jesus came to church. I don't think you would just sit there. I don't think you would. I don't think you would. I think you would fall to your knees if you saw the majesty of Jesus Christ. And they sang this song. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Worthy, worthy. And I look. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Tens of thousands, he says. And they were saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. 
and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and in all things in them. Who does that include? Every single one of us. Every single one of you. Every single thing in all of the universe are saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And these four living creatures around the throne said, Amen. And the church fell down and worshipped. That's what would happen if Jesus came to church. And our prayer every week would be that he showed up again. That he came again. And then Peter tells us when they saw Jesus, they responded to Jesus. He says that he and James and John heard the voice of God. They didn't just see Jesus and see the majesty of Jesus. They heard the voice of God. These disciples heard His voice. And what happened when they heard the voice of God? Do you remember? It knocked them off their feet. They fell down. Matthew says, when they heard the voice of God, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. And a cloud enveloped them. And they heard the voice. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And Matthew and Mark and Luke all report that the voice said, listen to Him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what He says. You know, listen to what He tells us. There are a lot of voices that we hear in our world. There are a lot of voices, depending on what you read and what you look at. There are a lot of voices that that speak to us. They tell us what to do. They tell us what to be. They tell us how to look. But folks, when you hear the Word of God, it will forgive ever change the way you worship and the way you live and the things you think and the places you go and the way you serve. And worship never takes place until we hear the voice of God. And when we hear the voice of God, it tells us, listen to my son Jesus. Listen to him. Several years ago, former church member in in, uh, Moriarty that now live in Denver called me up and said, hey, uh, we have season tickets to the Bronco games. But uh, Rick, the the dad, was a Giants fan. But, uh, and the Giants were playing the Cowboys in Dallas. And so Rick and Megan were going to go to Dallas and watch the Cowboys and uh, said, we need somebody to occupy our seats 
at the new Mile High Stadium and watch the Broncos. And we just can't find anybody. You think you could do that? Well, how long do you reckon it took me to say yes? Sure, we'll do that. And so uh, we went up. We, we stayed in their house. Uh, they were gone, but we stayed in their house and, and stayed there for, for two days. And on Sunday, we went to uh, the new Mile High Stadium to watch the Broncos play the Pittsburgh Steelers. I've been a fan of the Broncos for 40 years at least. And uh, this was the third time that I'd been able to see them live. I saw them play once when John Elway was quarterback, once when Brian Greasy was quarterback, and once now when Peyton Manning was quarterback. And I'd never seen Peyton play except on TV. And it was, it was, it was fun being in the stadium that day. We got there early. I, you know, we were maybe the first people in our whole section because I didn't want to miss anything. And we may have been the last people to I don't know how Jennifer felt about it. But, you know, we, we, we were the last people to leave because I didn't want to miss anything. I wanted, I wanted to see it all. Watching my favorite team and seeing a master quarterback at work and continually impressed with, with what he could do and the passes that he could and the Broncos won that day. And I spent a lot of time watching Peyton through binoculars. Uh, I was fascinated and, and, and wanted to see him play. But now let me ask you this. What if, while I was watching him through binoculars... And they had a timeout, and they were all standing out there. You know, when the TV timeouts come out, the players are just standing out there, and you don't have a clue what they're doing while they're waiting for the TV to say it's okay to play again. But what if while I was doing that, and I was watching him through his binoculars, Peyton took his helmet off and looked right up there where we were sitting and pointed to me and said something that I heard but nobody else heard. And I knew he was talking to me and to nobody else in the stadium. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Of course, that never happens in sports. But it happens in church all the time. It happens in worship all the time. And it's not Peyton Manning talking to you. It's God himself. And he speaks to you. And it happens every Sunday morning in churches all around the world. God speaks a word that goes straight to the heart of the people who are there to worship. And they know it. And they've heard it. That is God seeking us in worship. And it calls for a response. Primarily, we hear God's voice through the scripture when it's read, when it's taught, when it's preached. But we hear God's voice in that still, small voice in our hearts. And you know, when we hear God's voice in our hearts, we never doubt that it's God. 
we know he's the one who is speaking. We're sure it's his voice. And we're filled with awe. And our worship changes. And we change. We're never the same again. I know that happens here. Because I preach. And God tells you something I didn't say. You say, that message was directly made for me. And you know what? I wasn't even thinking about you when I wrote it. I was just looking at God's Word and and, and writing out what what I thought that God was saying through me. I thought He was talking to me and all the time He was talking to you. And sometimes you, you, some of you say and, and you come out and, and you tell me what God put in that message for you. And I think, I have no idea how they got that out of that. Because I don't understand it. It's because God took off His helmet, so to speak, and looked at you in the crowd and spoke to you in a voice that only you heard. A still, small voice. And you know that Jesus came to church that day. That He was there that day. You know, there there are times when I've been discouraged and I hear God speaking in music or in Scripture or in another voice and he says to me the battle is not yours it's mine when I'm uncertain about something I remember God's word I am with you always even unto the end of the world When, when you're looking for direction in your life and, and, and you don't know where to go or what to do, and all of a sudden God puts a path in front of you and you begin to walk that path. You know, you just, you just want to sing, shout to the Lord, all the earth, here's praise. Because He's real. He's there. Richard Foster says, when there's true Wholehearted worship. The Spirit touches the Spirit and you're never the same again. We just need to realize that when we come to church, Jesus, the real Jesus, the Son of God, can meet us here. And we ought to pray beforehand. Lord, show me what I need to see. Let me hear what I need to hear. Let me know that you're present. When we come to church, Jesus, the real Jesus, the Son of God, meets us here. And every week should be an adventure with God. When we see God, when we see Christ as He truly is, like Peter and James and John on the mountain, and we see Him in all of His majesty, worship is the most natural and ordinary thing we could ever do. 
They did it on the mountain. The elders and the creatures did it in heaven. The, the, the Romans did it when they recognized Jesus as the Son of God. They fell on their face. And not to worship Him is simply unthinkable. Jack Hayford is a pastor with a little bit of um, other abilities. He wrote, a, he wrote a poem that became a hymn, and now it's actually in our hymnal. The words go like this. Majesty. Worship His majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty. Kingdom authority. Flow from His throne unto His own. His anthems raise. So exalt. Lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify. Come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty. Worship His majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Folks, it's not just an idea. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a church. It's not just a a religion. It's just not a memory. Jesus comes to church. He comes here. And it's awe-inspiring when we realize that and we face Him in that way. And we respond to Him and we're, and we're not different. I mean, we are different. We're not the same as we once were. Because Jesus speaks to each of us in a voice that no one else can hear that God is seeking us in worship. You want to sing that instead of just listen to me say it? I asked Mike and Ruth to prepare it for us. Let's stand together and sing majesty. Worship His majesty. Worship His majesty Unto Jesus Be all glory, honor, and praise Majesty Kingdom authority Flows from His throne Unto His own his anthem raised. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty. Worship His majesty. 
Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Amen. Jesus who died is now glorified. He's King of all kings. He met us for worship. He'll go with us when we leave. Irma Bombeck tells a story. It's about a little boy named Donald. He was uh, getting ready to go to church. I'm sorry. He was getting ready to go to school for the very first time. He said, My name is Donald, and I don't know anything. I have new underwear, a loose tooth, and I didn't sleep last night because I'm worried. What if a bell rings and a man yells, Where do you belong? And I don't know. What if the trays in the cafeteria are too tall for me to reach? What if my loose tooth comes out when we have our heads down and are supposed to be quiet? Am I just supposed to believe quietly? What if I splash water on my name tag and my name disappears and no one knows who I am? You see, when you're six years old and going to school for the first time, there are things that you could be afraid of. When you're 68 years old, there are things that you can be afraid of. And all of those years in between and beyond and before, But one thing we can know, Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. And we come here on Sunday to meet him, and we lift up our voices, and we worship him. Majesty. Worship his majesty. Because Jesus who died is now glorified, King of all kings. Father, today we thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name.